2: Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Dustin Church. I'm Daniel Wright and I'm Jeremy Duval. So I'm excited today to have a couple two new community leaders on the show uh, that haven't been on before. I have, as you heard, Dustin Church and Daniel Wright, who are uh, two of my Pacific Northwest Portland buddies. They were recent attendees to the Bay of Kings, which was the tournament, our big tournament that we had in Mountain View, California at the end of September um i'm excited to have these guys on I've, I've had the pleasure of getting to know them pretty well over the last year and a half but i know this is the uh, first time you guys have, have been on the show so first dustin why don't you go first why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, maybe how you got into miniature war gaming sort of how you found kings of war in the portland area just give us a little bit of your gamer origin story
1: Sure. So, I mean, I've been wargaming for, like, probably 17 years, and I kind of got into you know, Warhammer 40K when I was a teenager. And I was only always interested in fantasy wargaming, but I could never get into Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Every time I, I tried to get into it, I was either told that, like, the army I wanted to play didn't exist anymore, or that putting it on the table was an automatic loss, basically, <laughs> um, is what people had told me when I was trying to get into the game. And uh, eventually, you know, I was just digging around online and i just found an article for kings of war listed all the you know all the armies that were in it and you know coding it as like this well-balanced like tactical game and i just started to try to get some of my friends to play it with me um and i found out that dan had a tomb king's army up in his closet that he hadn't used in in years and i got him to try it out (laughs) (laughs) well i mean obviously he liked it uh, and then something I had never, ever done before was go to any kind of wargaming event or tournament. I was just kind of a garage player, kind of cloistered person who just played with a few friends. But he convinced me to go up to Emerald Dragon back in 2017 or 2016 or back when it was Clash of Storms. And I've just been hooked ever since.
2: Yeah, I think that's interesting in that I'm like you in that i played – I've been into miniature wargaming since I was seven years old, eight years old but I had never really been a part of the Warhammer Fantasy competitive tournament scene. I didn't really even get into competitive wargaming until I started playing Kings of War. Yeah,
1: I'm the same way.
2: And, and I wonder, I think that goes to show maybe some of the, the awesomeness of that idea of a rule system, like the minute to learn Lifetime the Master, and that playing in your first Kings of War tournament to me was like not as daunting as even just the idea of playing in a Warhammer tournament.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was going to be like this really intimidating experience and I was going to go learn that, you know, oh, like if you don't build your army like this, you're just going to lose every game. But I mean, me and Dan went to that first event and did really well as people who had never even been to a tournament before. We each played maybe a dozen games. It was just surprising to see. It's like, oh, wow, you know, the stuff people say about how well balanced this game is and how friendly the community is really is, really is true. Like I was blown away.
2: Now, uh, Dan, had you been into kind of like Dustin in a miniature wargaming for like since you were a kid or what about you? What, what kind of, how did you find your way to miniature gaming?
3: I started playing 40K when I was about 12, 11, 12, something like that. So I've been playing for over 20 years now. Played 40K and then kind of moved into, and I actually did play fantasy. Started fantasy in about six ed, end of six ed. Like Dustin was saying, I played Tomb Kings. And uh, eventually that game kind of died off, and I decided I was going to put it on the shelf and not play, because I didn't have anything, and I was bitter at the game dying. Went and played War Machine for a while after that, and that's where I kind of got into the tournament scene and really playing in tournaments, and then moved down to Portland and didn't really continue to play that, just kind of stopped playing altogether for a little while until... Dustin convinced me to give this game he found on the internet a try. I was skeptical, but obviously it worked out, and now I've been playing this, and this is really the only game I play now.
2: Now, would you guys say, um, maybe uh, Dustin, comment first, and then Dan, you can kind of chime in. Is your Are you guys, and the Portland scene sort of in general, would you say you're more... Competitive focused, hobby focused, maybe like overall, like kind of like a mixture of both. Uh, what would, how would you sort of describe the, the, the DNA or the the spirit of the scene up there in Portland?
1: I would say down here in Portland, we we probably have. I, I'd say it's a pretty 50-50 split between like the real big hobby focus and and sort of the competitive. Like we we just have a lot of players in the area that kind of seem more interested in you know, the multi-basing and the modeling and, you know, oh, what if I brought these miniatures? Could I use these miniatures? It's like, yeah, you can use whatever you want. Um, so I, 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 but, you know, at the same time, I think a lot of kind of the driving players down here, like me and Dan and Brian Cessna do also, you know, we're always scheming about, oh, what tournament should we go to next? And what are the players that are going, what kind of armies do they play? So I, I don't know. I I feel like we, we balance out pretty fifty fifty between the two.
3: I mean, yeah, I I'd kind of agree with that. I, I think me and Dustin play a lot more competitive and like think a lot more along those lines. Not that we don't hobby. We both hobby pretty extensively, but I think there's a lot of players, especially there's a decently sized group in uh, Vancouver, which is just across the river from Portland that are really much more casual. Um, They play a lot of non-traditional sizes and stuff like that uh, as in points values and are not really tournament players. But I think it's a good split. There's you know there's the good core of local people that just play to play, and then there's a a good number of people that are like pretty serious about what are they going to take to tournaments, what are being played, what works, what doesn't, that sort of thing.
2: You know, the Pacific Northwest is the West. We you know we're kind of like sister regions, you'd say, and I think that is both based on geographical, but I would also think you know our philosophies are similar in that we like to here and i know you guys do too which is try to approach the game in a holistic sense meaning that you know strive to be the best player you can be as a hobbyist as a tactician as like a sportsman you know trying to kind of view the hobby as, as, as that, right, as a, as a full hobby that has sort of these different sub-components that you can work on, but that trying, I guess, to try to strive to be the best player you can be in, in all those aspects. Is that something you sort of see, you, you or if someone coming into the Pacific Northwest events might expect to see that sort of ideology up there?
1: My personal philosophy, uh, I see the hobby side of it, you know, I see the tournament as much as a hobby competition, as i do as a wargaming competition like me personally like i go there and i'm really striving to you know to win best painted to to win favorite army do those sort of things That's that's like a big goal of mine when i go to an event and i think a lot of people well i don't know if a lot of people are of that mindset but i but we have a lot of really big hobby focused people and even like me and dan and you know, Cesta and those of us that would consider us that consider ourselves really competitive players, we still make a lot of decisions based on like, you know, what I really just don't want to paint another one of those, or you know, I really want to paint this unit, so I'm going to use it anyway. So I think it, it's really a, a central part of the component up here, even in the competitive scene. That yes, hobby is is super important.
3: Yeah, I mean, as far as like people up in the region. Uh, I've been asked numerous times oh well, I don't have you know a fully painted army can I even show up it I think that illustrates the value that people up here put on having painted armies having that hobby aspect you know everyone it's something that's the forefront of the mind as far as myself I mean when I go to a tournament I'm a little less of an overall than dustin I'm a little more focused on winning than the hobby I mean I value the hobby but I don't care if I don't win best painted or Um, favorite army I'm not as much into that but I still value like those as part of the overall
2: yeah you know I think that you know our regions uh, are similar in that you know we're two of the smaller regions in the master system you know for those that don't know the country is sort of the North America sort of divided into eight regions and then at the end of the year those eight regions then will send a team to compete at the US masters as and sort of like North America championships and the west region being the smallest region and pacific northwest which is bigger than us but still compared to south or southeast you know relatively small i think that what i found to be successful and i'm curious to to hear what you guys have to say in growing our region is that the more as uh, i can approach it from from a holistic sense from being like this game is awesome because not only is it balanced but look at these cool multi bases you can do look at this cool hobby just trying to to, to promote the game in sort of all aspects, I think that that can make it a little bit more enticing to newer players than to just straight up say, this is a game we play because it's the most cutting edge, hardcore, balanced, competitive, you know, kick your tushy in sort of uh, style of game. I found in trying to grow it from a very small scene, the more you can approach it in that sort of, like I said, holistic way, the little easier it is to to pick up new players. Does that sort of resonate with you guys at all, being community leaders in sort of smaller environments? Or what have been sort of some of your guys' challenges and successes like building the region up there in uh, the Portland area?
1: Um I, I think for me, I have I think what really pulled me into the game too was was the modeling opportunities for it. You know, when I saw the multi bases and you know the the lack of model removal and just the dynamic things people were doing with it, really inspired me to want to get into the game. And for I think a lot of the people that I've kind of recruited into Kings of War has been through you know through the hobby perspective of the game. Um, You know, people are very happy to, one, not have to buy as many miniatures. People are very happy to be able to do something a little bit more creative. And I think that sparks an interest in the game that it's hard to find in any other war game out there right now. You know, that, yeah, you could use whatever models you want. Just just that little note, I I, kind of see people light up a little bit, you know, when they think about some cool model that they always wanted to use for something but never had a reason to.
3: I pick any army I'm going to do based off the modeling opportunities because um, I think that when you put a painted army and a well-done army on the table, you get that draw of people looking at it. People want to look at it. People then come over and then they ask the questions of, oh, what game is this? Oh, well, you know, how do you how do you get into it? And that's kind of how I look at, the, at drawing people in is, you know, give them something to look at that's going to spark their interest. You know, and as far as people that have come in that I know of. I mean, Dustin pretty much covered it. It's, it, it's a lot about the freedom of how you're going to build things, how you're going to put them on the table, being able to decide, Oh, I want it to look this way or, Oh, I want to use this model from this range and this model from this range over here. And I can put them together. And I think that's really valuable in the overall.
2: Well, recently we had, like I'd mentioned at the, the beginning, uh, front end of the show, we had had our big, uh, tournament that we do here in the Bay Area which is called the Bay of Kings this is was our third year of having the Bay of Kings the first uh, inaugural year was in 2017 um, and then in 2018 uh, we had it again um, both events were on the smaller size you know in the 10 to 12 person range uh, but this last year we really had uh, a, a really great amount of growth uh, we ended up with uh 23 players from something like four or five different states came in um i know you guys uh last year had sort of thought about uh wanting to do bay of kings but what when you guys were were deciding on whether or not to come down was there anything like in your head that you're like uh uh, oh i really want to come down for that or what sort of kind of sealed the deal in uh, you guys deciding to make the trek down
1: um i like for me personally you know why i really wanted to go down to bay of kings was because you guys came up for rose city you know you guys came up and you guys were fun and great to hang out with great to play with and you know it sort of occurred to me that you guys you know you're are our, you're our closest neighbors you're you know it's a bit of a drive but you're not unreachable and i just felt like we were way overdue of you know going down to our sister region and our sister event and just coming down and returning the favor of you guys coming up here, and uh, you know. And the other thing I started to think was, you know, our I think both of our regions can really grow a lot and by kind of cross pollinating like that, not just with getting more people out at events, but also like tactically, you know, you know, as you as we as our different metas kind of kind of uh, clash and combine in different ways. I think both of our regions just have a lot to gain from it.
3: Um, I mean, yeah, part of it was obviously you, some of you guys coming up, especially this last year. But for me, the big thing that draws me to any tournament is I just like to travel. <laughs> like I just love traveling to tournaments and going out to a places I've never been, only been a couple times, and just kind of seeing people and traveling. I love that
2: experience i mean it's really a bug that gets you i found like once you start traveling for tournaments it's the tournament itself obviously is sort of the 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 nucleus of why you're doing it but really the magic when it comes to traveling for gts is the going to a city that you've never been in it's having that cuisine or local beer or whatever you're into sort of like exploring that because usually when you do travel Uh, the home field guys will will set up the restaurants although i'll take you to local places and um you know and i think what you said is what resonates for me and it's something that i know we've tried to do which is if you are in a small scene or you're trying to grow a tournament the best advertising you can do for that is to go to other people's events and when you go to their event be like hey guys you guys should come to my event you know i think that's a big reason why our uh Uh, bay of kings really jumped up in the amount of people is that myself and you know some of the socal guys like scott and rashad and then brinton who runs bay of kings is known in the community from matchup videos and from his work on dash 28 and that we really made an effort to try to get out there into the scene um with that hope that there'd be some like pay it forward going on right like you know that uh, we come to your event, so come to ours. You know, I'll show you. I'll show you mine. You show me yours. Sort of thing going on. So, and we definitely did see some positive um, uh, results from that. And also too, like just like Portland, and we'll talk about your guys' events that you run a little bit later. But the Bay Area is a really beautiful place. There's tons to do. Tons of great food. So it really is like a good spot to hold uh, to hold an event. So, like I said, uh, Babe Kings was last weekend in September, and what we did, which is another great way to think about when you're traveling for GTS, this is a really great way to save money, uh, get to know people, build that fellowship, is that we decided to get a big giant Airbnb. Um, it was a main house plus a separate like in-law unit. Um, it was like three or four bedrooms, a bunch of couches. So then that way everyone could stay in the Airbnb and it ended up being like much cheaper than, um, if people had, you know, had to do separate hotels. What was your guys sort of thinking, uh, uh, looking back at sort of the, the concept of everyone staying in an Airbnb? Was that something you guys liked? You do it again or what what do you think? How did that go for you guys? I was... Initially I didn't really know what to think about a whole
1: bunch of people staying in Airbnb, I've never stayed in Airbnb before, so I really didn't know what to expect. But when we all got there and we got everything sort of sorted out, um, I thought it was great. you know, it was way better even you know even when you have like a bunch of people staying at the same hotel, you know, maybe a couple people break off and hang out and all that, but it was just, it felt like a ton of fun to know, you know, when you got back to the Airbnb, people would play games and hang out, and some of them would drink or, you know, do whatever, and it was just a ton of fun. It felt like, you know, in a way, like the like the camaraderie didn't, you know, it didn't it didn't end with a camaraderie dinner. You know, it just, it was the whole event, you know, the whole weekend, and it was a huge blast.
3: Um, I mean, I pretty much knew what was gonna happen I, I've done traveling and kind of lodging like that before where you have you know 15 people in a house um, so I kind of knew what I was getting into but I mean I like I said I love traveling and like that experience so for me it was great I mean I'd do it again in a heartbeat despite the the hardwood floors and the deflated air mattress on the first night but other than that you know it was a blast I'd do it again.
2: Yeah, you know, like what you guys are saying, uh, I'm a big fan of Airbnb. I've now done Airbnb. Um, We did it for Babe Kings. We did it when we came up for uh, Rose City Rumble. Uh, Rob and I have done it with Jeff Swan when we've gone to Adepticon you know it's just as a really way a great way to get lodging save money but also it's it's highlighting one of the main reasons why going to tournaments is so fun which is hanging out with everyone you guys you you have like sort of a home base in uh, this last trip we had um, my girlfriend was there jeff's wife was there todd's wife was there for a couple nights so i mean we really when you do the airbnb too it can be open to not only yourself but partners too um yeah, so it was a blast. We we did a lot of board games. Rashad cooked up some carne asada on the first night that was like unbelievable. It was so good. Um, yeah, so the really the only, the only bad part was that the house came with a bunch of inflatable, and I use air quotes, inflatable air mattresses, because they stayed inflated for, I guess, 20 minutes. I don't know. I was in one of the king suites because that's how I got a roll. But I heard the next morning when I woke up in- extremely well rested that there was some air mattress issues. But, um, you know, it's just all part of the journey, right?
3: It was a secret attempt to throw us off our tournament game. That's what it was.
2: Well, it obviously didn't work very well in my first game against Dustin because he squashed me. So I had to, you know, he helped me on my my submarine quest for the rest of the tournament, but... um... Before we go, and it's been a couple weeks since Bay of Kings, so it, this is kind of an opportunity for us to get to know, the audience to get to know, Dan and Dustin. So we are going to talk a little bit about Bay of Kings. We're not going to do a game by game, but I thought it would be fun for us to at least go through our lists and then talk about maybe some some moments from the tournament that were sort of highlight moments or moments that stood out to you. So, um, Dustin, do you want to go first? you want to talk a little bit about uh, your list that you brought?
1: Uh, yeah, so I brought down uh, my, my new my brand new army. I think this was only the second event that I've gotten it out to yet and it's uh, you know it's, a, it's an MSU herd infantry army which is kind of an, an unusual strategy. I haven't really seen a lot of other people trying it out um, but it, it seems to be working pretty okay for me so far. Um, I mean I managed to go undefeated the first day so that was felt like a really big win. Um, and it's just trying to just have a whole lot of just infantry regiments all over the board that can just kind of suddenly do a lot of damage if your opponent either doesn't have enough drops to stop you from surrounding them or makes a mistake and opens up a flank because suddenly one of those little tribal warrior regiments can do a ton of damage.
2: Yeah, you know, I thought it was. We played in the first match, and I thought, uh, like you said, your list was very unique in that I have had uh, and. Some of this, too, we talk about these lists in sort of the glorious shadow that third edition will probably be just out when this is coming out. So that's why, you know, we're just sort of going to kind of talk about the list that we brought. But going into the exactitudes of the list is probably really not worth it right now because everything's changing. But um, like Dustin said, his list was very unique in that I haven't seen a lot of armies like that. I often need to see something once before it fully sinks in. So, like, Dustin just kicked the crap out of me in our first game. I just didn't know uh, sort of what to do against him. And I brought, you know, I guess what you would say is a semi, you know, typical second edition, end of second edition Baselian list. I had Alohi. I had the Knight Formation. I did not have the Alohi Formation, but I had the Knight Formation. I had Nyas. I had Spirit of Valendor, some Gur Panthers. I was racing to try to finish my army at the very end, so I was trying to take the least amount of models as possible. Basically, in Dustin uh, uh, and I's game, his chaff outchaffed my chaff, and he just had too many drops. I just couldn't, I just didn't have the tools to deal. Uh, I think he had almost double my drops, which is just very challenging to deal with. It was a great game, but it, like you said, it's very interesting on in what you can do when you take a list that's different from all the other lists, and that you do have something going for you. In fact, that you're going to play players who haven't necessarily played against that list. But um...
1: yeah, I can—I've definitely taken a lot of people by surprise with it, just because it's. It is unusual, um, but like for me, like the the big highlights for like the tournament for me, not so much like trying to air out the new list and hammer that out. Was seeing Scott Holcomb's pirate army. I absolutely loved it. I took a million pictures. I wish everyone could see it, could have seen it, could have been there to see it. It was great. And then the other one was my my game against um, Wayne Chang, who just destroyed me on so many different levels it was just a super super fun game
2: yeah you know uh dustin brings up a, a good point in that what we lack in the west and pacific northwest and size we do really pick up in regards to hobby i would say the level of hobby at bay of kings mat would match any tournament in the country almost even though we were you know 20 23 players The amount of high-level armies there were, like, really, really high, I thought. I
1: I think I saw more, like, super highly painted and hobbied armies at um, at Bay of Kings than I saw at Masters last year. Just the sheer number of really, really highly painted armies was really impressive. I was blown away by how good it was.
2: And that's something we like to grow here to sort of, you know, like... The Alamo GT West being like being a tournament that sort of focuses around really nicely painted armies. Uh, you know there was Scott's amazing pirate themed army, which if you haven't seen, Scott's probably one of the best, if not the best, multi in the country. what he can do with um, uh, motion, uh, you know, he, uh, give an architect a 3D printer and they can go off on multibasing. Um, Jesse Burks had his Trident Realms army, which is using the, the Deepkin from GW, which is a beautiful army. Wayne, uh, also playing Trident Realms, has one of the most unique color palettes I've seen in Trident Realms of all these sort of like almost Billy Smith-esque pastels and a uh, uh, very beautiful army. What about you, Dan? Why don't you talk a little bit about what army you brought and maybe some some highlights from the tournament or stuff that stood out to you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I brought the very, very standard uh, Clash of Kings 2019 Empire of Dust list with all that you would expect. The Soul Snare, three bone giants, the mummy formation, um, and then I brought three hordes of skeletons and Mortarists to make it all stealthy because nobody likes to be shot. Um, as far as like highlights, uh, I think probably... My game with Rashad was one of the best games of Kings of War I've ever played. I've never had a game that was so tight and so down to the wire that it literally came down to millimeters of can we do this, can we do that. Um, Other than that, I had a very great game with Scott as well. Um, Highlight of that game was my, uh, I had a high, I had a standard bearer. Just chasing one of his sirens around the board for the entire game, and basically they didn't really do anything, but it was pretty entertaining to watch them run around the board after each other.
2: Yeah, that was. Uh, I think I was playing right near you guys. That whatever round that was, I don't remember, but and I remember the like uh, the narrative. It's always fun in tournament games when you can create like a narrative on like what's going on. Uh, yeah, so it was a great event. We had done. Uh, To also make sort of Bay Kings a travel destination style tournament the Friday before the event, we all went to a winery in uh, Napa. We did like a wine tour to this castle winery that was pretty fun. There's uh, pics of that posted on Facebook. The Saturday night event, you know, we did the big group dinner as, you know, I definitely recommend to anyone doing a tournament do a, a group hangout dinner that Saturday night, you know, in between the two days, a great way to get everyone together, having fun. So I think it was a pretty successful event. I th- I definitely think next year we hope to have you guys come again, and that um, you know we will be doing the sort of the the Bay of Kings Party House Airbnb plus a spouse friendly uh, event the Friday before. I think you know it, as you're going, you try to sort of brand your tournaments a certain way. So I think that's like what we've decided to do with Bay of Kings is. Uh, branded as a, a, a friend a spouse friendly uh partner friendly tournament where the friday before we'll always have some sort of group thing whether it's a wine tour or our um fisherman's wharf in the city or you know we'll do some sort of uh, uh group travel fun thing the friday and then we'll have the tournament so it'll be more uh, set up for anyone to come with anyone that they want to bring so for you guys, do you guys, do you think you might try to make it with, you know, schedule's always up in the air, but would you guys try to come again next year, do you think? Um, I definitely
1: want to get down to California at least once a year just to go down there and just keep building, you know, building, like, the, the combined scene with you guys. And um, I don't know if I'll do Bay of Kings. I might do one of the other events. Um, I, I might do both. Um, but I was thinking Riddle of Steel looked like it would be really fun, um, but I'm just – You'll have to wait to see what your guys's how your guys' schedule hammers out next year, but I definitely wanna to try to make it down to California at least once a year going forward.
3: Oh don't worry, Jeremy, I'll convince him to go. He's <laughs> gonna ride with me anyways, so don't worry about that. But you know, I plan to go back. Um I love the Bay Area and my brother is actually just moving there, so it's even more of an excuse for me to go to the Bay Area. So I definitely plan to go back as long as There isn't some sort of disaster that keeps me away.
2: You know, we've decided, uh, as you guys mentioned, Riddle of Steel, we've sort of decided to kind of build our scene in in California around sort of our two marquee events, where we have the Bay of Kings and we have the Riddle of Steel, which is run, run by Rashad. And it kind of follows a somewhat similar thing to what you guys are doing in that the Bay of Kings is the more traditional sort of Missions out of the book, competitive, there isn't a whole lot of fluff going on. It's more just your straightforward, competitive, traditional tournament, whereas the Riddle of Steel... uh, ah. It's very, like, Conan-themed, as Rashad would say. Uh, There's a lot of flavor to it. It has special characters or special scenarios. So it's still competitive, don't get me wrong. The level of play is very high. But it's an event that's kind of tailored more as, here's the little bit more narrative event, and then here's the little bit more competitive event, and these are our sort of two marquee events. And it sounds a little bit like that's kind of what you guys are building in Portland. So... um, Dan, why don't you talk a little bit about that first? You know, tell us about uh, Rose City Rumble, and then uh, Dustin, you can kind of talk about, about the Wildwood Brawl and how uh, you guys are sort of developing your scene up there.
3: Uh, so I run the I run Rose City Rumble. It's in uh, it's in June every every June. Um, it flexes a little bit on the weekends because on what weekend in June? Because it's also the same month that Portland hosts their Rose Festival. So there's always one big weekend in June that you don't want to be hosting a tournament because the price of hotels doubles. So I'm playing around with that. I'm probably going to be later in June because Rose Festival is usually earlier in June. Beyond that, I mean, I run it as the quote-unquote competitive tournament. It runs pretty much straight out of the book. Um, scenarios rolled straight out of the book. You know, 20 to 50 points, I don't do any of the uh, special characters or special scenarios. Um, I don't really even do uh, extra rerolls. rolls um, That won't, seems like it won't be as big of a deal in 3rd edition with the whole devastated rule. Other than that, the only change I make for the event, I think, is I usually run blackjack scoring instead of the traditional book scoring, um, just because I think that still focuses a little better on playing through every turn of the game. So that you always have something to play for, despite whatever's happening in the game.
2: And then, Dustin, your event. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your event and how that sort of seems to take the little bit more narrative flavor, and how you know is the, a sort of a, a complement to the style of event that Dan is running.
1: Uh, so my event, which is Wildwood Brawl, uh, coming up. Just next month, actually, it'll be uh, Saturday the 9th and Sunday the tenth um, at the same location that we do Rose City. Um, yeah, it is a lot more of a narrative sort of game. Like last year, you know, everyone had to bring a character that was, you know, your army's king or monarch, and you know, there's also special uh, special rule, uh, special scenarios. Um, I also did do the once per game reroll of a single dice. That was sort of more of a. Uh, a, a, a Game mechanic thing for me that I thought was good for events because of how double ones were, but like what Dan said, I don't know if that's something I'll really be running in future years with um, the devastated rule. I think you know I can probably get rid of that, so next year I probably won't need to have that once per game or re-roll the single die. But yeah, so this year I'm not doing any special characters or monsters or anything because we kind of already had an event like that for Emerald Dragon. They had Bring a Dragon, which was kind of drastic, but what I am doing is uh, unique scenarios. And they're all just sort of an additional layer uh, on top of a base scenario from the book to give kind of something a little bit more tactically complicated to sink your teeth into.
2: And I think that's a really good idea. Rashad has done that in the past with Riddle of Steel where and, – and it's a good place to start, I think, for an event where you want to have your own scenarios. Don't just start off scratch and say, I'm going to completely write my own scenario. Bam, Bob's your uncle right off – you know, right, here you go. I think taking Dominate or taking Push or taking a scenario in then the book and then doing a tweak – Like, I know my favorite mission that Rashad has won at, uh, Riddle of Steel is like the Tree of Woe, where it's a Dominate mission, but in the middle of the Dominate circle is a difficult terrain piece, a tree which causes dread. So it's the idea that you need to get into the Dominate circle to score points, but when you get close, there's like this, like, spooky tree that gives you dread. So it's a nice little kind of sort of, like, twist to that event, um... So I think if that's a, a good way when you're thinking about doing customer, uh, custom scenarios, just like Dustin said, is start with the book scenario and then tweak it slightly. Yeah, that's absolutely how I built
1: mine out. I wanted, And I specifically took, well, let's take kind of the simplest, easiest scenarios. So that way, if you add another layer on top of them, they're not kind of overcomplicated or, or overwhelming for, for people to, to have to deal with. Um, and kind of like what you said with Rashad, like the signature one I'm going to be running every year, which is Lost in the Wild. But it's you know control with the six control zones. But each players take turns placing a Lost in the Woods token, and so you, uh, which is a three inch bubble where your units become unit strength zero at the end of the game if they're around these tokens. So you're doing control, but you also need to make sure that you're staying away from these little sort of anti objective markers that the players. You know, take turns plac- tactically placing,
2: and that's interesting, right? Because maybe there's only a, there's a, a, a spot of that control board that's more advantageous to be in. So you put your little token there, and then so you got to make that choice, right? Uh, do I want to be in this spot, or if I do, I may lose unit strength or and it fits your theme like the whole lost in the woods you being like the wildwood brawl right it's a way for you to to build the brand of your tournament as well right through sort of how you design the scenario
1: yeah yeah that is that is always the beginning of the event is is getting lost in the wildwood
2: very cool. And then, um, like like we said earlier, you guys are, are both uh, Portland natives. Will you talk a little bit about, it's because I think it's very unique and awesome, the sort of store that you guys run uh, your events out of, and then maybe a little bit of like what Portland has to offer as far as if someone's maybe thinking about traveling in to one of your tournaments. I love Portland. Um, I always gain like 20 pounds when I go up there which is okay, but talk a little bit about where you hold your event and maybe why someone might want to go to Portland uh, in the first place.
3: Um, I mean, the store we run in is called uh, Guardian Games, and it's fantastic. I mean, there's not really any other way to describe it. It has more space than probably 95% of game stores in the country, and not only that, they have their own bar, which is always a plus. Also, they have a lot of tables that are that are of the right size and terrain to go with it and actually train that works for Kings of War, which is often hard to come by. So that really helps. And in addition to that, like the staff there is very supportive um, of the game. They actually stock Mantic product, so it makes it easy to point to something on the shelf and be like, oh, we're playing Kings of War. Yeah, the product's right over there. Like You can really kind of sell the hobby within the store and you don't even have to go anywhere. And then it's also just got that, that environment that really draws people in. It's the most popular game store in the city. So you get people from all walks of life coming in and, you know, one thing we all know from playing Kings of war is that people from all walks of life play the game. You never know who's going to be into the game. So that really helps as far as why to come to Portland. I mean, You said it yourself, the food, food is amazing. I think Dustin can probably cover up on the food.
1: So for me, so one of the, so we have two places that we both do both of our camaraderies at is, so on uh, Saturday, we do a Saturday camaraderie and we do that at Gustav's. And Gustav's is a, uh, it it is a chain up here, but it's a German food restaurant. Uh, And they do just a ton of amazing, fairly authentic, uh, like, German dishes. Um, I'm a Particularly huge fan of the wild boar sausage plate, which is just—I don't know—wild boar just makes great sausage. It's something I've never seen anyone else have. It's just a, a great restaurant, and that's pretty much where we do. It. And I'll, you know, not to speak of course all the beer that they have there as well. If you're a beer person, you get a good selection at Gustav's. And then on Sunday, for those people that are staying through till Monday, we also go to my absolute favorite restaurant in the world, which is Fire on the Mountain, which is the absolute best wings. That I think anyone will ever find anywhere. Um, they do a lot of like sort of really great, sort of unique house flavors, like the Thai peanut wings and the Habanero raspberry. And it's a really good place to go if you're a fan of hot wings. But I mean, and that's just the places that we go for our events. There are so many great restaurants in Portland um, and surrounding cities.
2: Yeah, you know, Gustav's is great. Uh, the fire on the mounds unbelievable. Last last year I got to share a fried Oreo with Dan Miner, which was pretty awesome. Um, and they have like a little like private dining area that we ate at last time that was a super fun. In the morning we'd always go to breakfast and I'm, I know I'm going to screw it up. It's, is it my dad's place or my father's place? What's it called?
3: Oh, I believe it's my dad's place. My
2: dad's place, yeah.
3: Yeah, I so, think you're right.
2: So that's where we'll go, which is like a bar slash breakfast restaurant in one. It's like very, you know, uh, keep Portland weird, very cool place. But they have like, uh, you know, chicken fried steak and eggs. So when you want that really light, healthy pre-tournament breakfast, you can get it. Um, that's one place that we that like uh, Scott and Rashad and I when and Kyle Timberlake, who always comes up to us with us when we go to the Portland events. Uh, it's a place we like to have breakfast. So, um, yeah, so I would definitely, if you're, uh, if you're within the Pacific Northwest area or you're just looking for a great food uh, destination place, either of the uh, Rose City Rumble or the Wildwood Brawl, both of would be great options to go. I mean, I love – I try to make it to at least one Portland event a year. I'm kind of the mind of you guys, which is I wish – Uh, there was more tournaments that were within driving distance and driving distance for us is a lot different than other places. And that all, you know, for me, 10 or 12 hours is like the max I'll drive and Portland's less than that. So it's like a, a nice, nice spot for us in California to get to. And I think vice versa, getting down to the Bay area or maybe Southern California would be the little bit longer drive. Like if I'm heading up to Seattle, um, kind of equivalent, but, um, Super fun events. I've always had a blast anytime I've made it up to Portland. Usually it will be like the Portland scene, it's just the California guys, and then we'll get some guys from like uh, the Seattle area will kind of come down. Portland seems to be like a nice little hub for getting uh, people in both our regions to, to go to, I think.
3: All of our after hangouts are obviously spouse and family friendly too, so like they're definitely not in places where you couldn't bring your spouse or anything like that, so... Bring them on up.
2: I know third edition is right around on the corner, so, uh, and I know, you know, kind of as we've been getting ready for third out, we've always kind of asked our guests, like, what their initial thoughts are or or what they're looking forward to so what are you guys going into third edition is there anything that's uh, jumped out to you that you like or sort of what uh, what armies are you going to be working on or what's on your hobby table or dustin why don't you go first what's what's your thinking on third and then going into this new year um what army are you going to be playing you sticking with the herd you got something else you're maybe working on or sort of what's in your radar
1: so I'm uh, I'm probably gonna be I'm gonna be sticking with my herd army for at least another year maybe two and I'm I'm kind of expecting to see some changes but as someone who's an already a really infantry heavy army going into third edition I feel like I am gonna be in a really really good place um, right now I'm uh, I'm making some new giant eagles for my army my current ones are just a little bit too fiddly and they're not really that giant um, and recently they just came out with these new like it was a Games Workshop miniature. It's uh, this new, like, mutated raptor bird sort of thing that, I'll, that I'm going to start working on right now. I'm usually not a big fan of some of the new, like, AOS-style stuff, but how do you not love a big mutant bird? I mean... <laughs> um, and the next army I'm looking at is actually Kingdoms of Men, so I'm not really sure what... What we're going to be looking at, since you know, I haven't had army previews for Herd or for Kingdoms of Men yet, since they're a ways out uh, still. But uh, but I'm just really excited. I think the sort of armies and stuff that I've been gravitating towards, you know, especially specifically infantry, is is going to be kind of a whole new world in uh, in third edition, and it'll be, I think, very good.
2: And what about you, Dan? Um,
3: yeah. So unlike Dustin, I have army ADD and have entirely too many armies. Um, as of right now, I mean, I'll always have my Empire of Dust, and I'll always be working on that, and I'm excited for some of the changes, especially the monolith change. I think that's that's kind of what's got me really excited about Empire of Dust right now. Um, but as far as what I'm working on um, right now, and what I'll probably continue working on into 3rd uh, edition, is my uh, Ogre's Army. Uh, I'm doing a Gator Ogre Army so they just got Crocodogs, which I'm going to model as regular dogs since I'm already running Gators. But So that's kind of what I'm working on now. I already had the army, but I'm expanding it. So that's really what's what's going on there.
2: Cool. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I, I hadn't really thought about that, uh, what you were saying, Dustin, about your army's probably uh, sitting pretty good with sort of the – it seems like the overall idea or spirit behind 3rd edition, among many things, is to maybe make it a little bit more infantry-focused and have your special units be, what, uh, special? As opposed to, like, building your army around special units and having infantry as just cheap things that you have that sit on objectives? Um I'm really excited for 3rd Edition in many of the ways you know, we're getting to record uh, this weekend, and this episode may either be out before or after. We're doing a deep dive 3rd Edition Release Week episode uh, that either you guys have already listened to, or make sure to keep a lookout, uh, because it will be posted shortly to listen, where we're going to go through the book, we're going to talk about lists, we're going to talk about... um, What's changed, what hasn't changed, what we're excited about, all that sort of stuff. So definitely um, stay tuned for that. Um, So uh, as many of you guys know, Masters is coming up. It's going to be in February in upstate New York. York, And we did – the council did vote to uh, play third edition. So are you guys pretty much locked in for – uh herd and uh, Empire dust to take those to masters, you think? Um,
1: I am not totally positive. I'm gonna take herd. I really want to take herd, but I, I'm just not gonna be absolutely sure until I have uncharted empires and I looked at it and I know my army you know still works and you know the strategy that I use is still a viable strategy. Um, I my uh, abyssal dwarf like artillery line army suddenly looks really really powerful with the new changes um so I, if there's a possibility i'll take them um but uh i i'm, I'm kind of undecided still
2: yeah and i know uh, uh dustin's um abyssal dwarf army is very cool using uh you have a bunch of the russian alternative models in that army right
1: oh yeah ton tons of it's it's almost entirely russian alternative Specifically, the Rosmax sculpts, and anyone who's familiar with the line, they're a little, they're uh, they're just such a great sort of tribute and reimagining of the old Big Hat Chaos dwarves, and they're just super super fun models.
2: That's exactly you, you you say it exactly. I would say that they're like an homage or like a reimagining of that aesthetic, but with more like modern models. So if you hadn't checked those out. And I know a lot of people always wonder about shipping from from uh, how long it takes. Or when you got those Russian alternatives, what was like the turnaround? Uh,
1: So uh, one thing I want to say is, so shipping from the Russian alternative, uh, they offer free shipping, um, which is really great, and the prices on their models are fantastic. They do take a while to reach you, though. It does take anywhere from a month to like you know probably four to six weeks to arrive so they do take a while but it is free shipping and the models are priced fantastically they're gorgeous uh the like the resin they use is is really good it's maybe a smidge brittle compared to other lines you know it's not plastic it is resin but um it's it's a great product and it's worth the wait you know the the four to six weeks
2: cool something to keep in mind though about like you said uh uh i think that's a long shipping time but if you if you know that that's what it's going to take and you are expecting that you can sort of build your project around knowing that that's what it's going to take uh definitely check out those models though i'm a big fan abyssal dwarves have always been like a place in my heart back from the old school gw days so definitely take a look at those um and then what about you dan will you is a similar thing uh Maybe Gator, Ogres, maybe Empire of Dust. You're just going to kind of have to wait and see what what unfolds?
3: Uh, no, I'm 100% taking Empire of Dust. I will never betray my Empire of Dust for someone else. They will go with me every time. Um, no, I've, I'm I definitely taking Empire of Dust, and I'm, I'm like 98% sure that I'm going to Masters. I just have to get the logistics hammered out.
2: Because what I've heard through Mr. Munsell is that you guys may be flying to a bigger airport and driving to the event. Is that a possibility?
1: Currently what we're looking at is we're going to fly into JFK on Thursday. uh, And then pretty much all the Pacific Northwest crew will all chip in and rent a car, drive about four hours from there to the event. Um, But it's, it's just because the The price of the flights, there's direct flights to JFK and they're super, super cheap. Um, so we're we're looking at almost certainly doing that.
2: And that may be something us West Coast guys do too. and maybe we get like a whole caravan, a convoy, and we convoy up.
1: Ooh, that would be super cool.
2: Yeah, so if anyone who's going to Masters who doesn't want to fly, who wants to maybe fly to a cheaper airport, but is interest, interested in joining the um, the party train, um the cheese express as rashad will want to call it you know let us know reach out to us uh that would be a lot of fun um because that's sort of like the stuff you're like that's what makes tournaments fun i mean it's getting together and renting cars and driving and chit-chatting while you're riding that's not an inconvenience that is a, a more opportunity to chill and talk right
1: yeah absolutely
3: more opportunities to learn about the weaknesses of your enemies.
2: You just got to have, like, most likely we'll have done a, a cast feed of first-round matchups, so we need to have someone have all the lists printed out in the car. Uh, we'll get everything in miniature, and we'll just start playing miniature games. Like, we'll have a little board in the back seat, and we'll just get an extra, some extra it's- practice in
1: now is apparently the time to start 15 millimeter kings of war
2: exactly <laughs> just just to have it ready to be played in the car on the four-hour <laughs> trip from uh to masters but um... you
3: gotta be prepared to make every master's army so yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> sounds doable i mean in 15 millimeter mean, well rob's like they've been playing a lot of like 10 15 millimeter kings of war anyway so i gotta just like uh would be multi-purpose i could do it for car practice but also as just like a backup for playing that style so
1: i i've been really interested in doing that but there doesn't seem to be a consensus on like what scale
2: Yeah, you know, go back. I forget off the top of my head, but we recently we, we just... Uh, it's in the Counter Charge Facebook chat. Someone was wanting to know about that. We did a couple episodes on playing uh, uh, Kings of War at 10 or 15mm, so... Definitely seems like it's something fun to do. I don't know if it's, like... Ironed out as like there's one particular way to do it that's sort of better than all the rest. I know some people play it with the same measurements. Some people do centimeters or whatever. I know there's a few different ways that people are uh, uh, doing that. But definitely look back on our back catalog. We do have some episodes on that. Yeah, um, I
1: was I was looking at doing half scale, just do everything in half, half as many inches, half the base sizes. And I just thought it looked like a it looked like fun and like it would be so easy to just have a, a three you know, to play it on a coffee table, you know?
2: Totally. Yeah, no, you play it on a, you know, get one of those smaller mats that's used for skirmish games, or there's lots of cool stuff you could do, um, you could do on that, so. Think
3: about how many more armies I could have, Dustin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I know, I'm like you, I'm just like, army AD&D. What I've found, though, in in my, uh, I guess as I get older and wiser, uh, air quotes on wiser, uh, I still have ARMY ADD, but I am able to decide not to make any purchases until the next day. So I'm always building the lists, but I've gotten better about not actually buying the models and then putting those models in my closet. So I guess it's a step in the right direction.
3: I just need to stop looking at Kickstarter.
1: You need to stop buying entire armies to put on your shelf, Dan. That's what you need to stop doing. Yeah, that's what I said. Stop looking at Kickstarter. Stop looking at Kickstarter.
2: So for me, I'm continuing with the Basileans. I still have not yet been able to completely fill them fully painted in an army. Um, I am, you know, slowly but surely, each event that comes along, I make more progress progress with them. I think I'm definitely going to be also moving towards infantry. I did the Shield Wolf Kickstarter for... um, They did a line of female paladins, and sort of the theme on my army is that um, a, like, uh, convent and paladin order within Basileia uh, has, uh, it's essentially an all-female model army in that, you know, men are more susceptible to the, the temptation of the abyss, so it's like a super fanatical cross sect of different basilean military orders but you have to be female you can't be uh, male to join it so like all my palace guard or female stormcasts i've done um, i've talked about it on the show before but lots of like different conversions so what i'm using for my infantry is that uh shield wolf paladin um kickstarter so i got tons of that so i'm going to be building some Paladin foot guard to sort of get some infantry components for my list. I have... I'm finishing up my knights. I have some... My, my Ogre Palace Guard, a couple other things. Um, uh, I definitely want to have some uh, Scouts, uh, Sisterhood Scouts, so I'm just trying... I'm scoping out on eBay because those models are only available either in the big Mega Army or in the Kickstarter, uh, or the... Sorry, the Vanguard smaller set. So I'm kind of... Did, did you not feel the fully painted army
1: at... Uh... Babe Kings. I did. I had to borrow some models. Okay, I was about to. Say, I remember it being fully painted. I, th- I thought your army looked fine, looked great even.
2: <laughs> Everything was done. One of my my second cav regiment I had to borrow. So I just so it was uh, it was like ninety percent fully painted with just one unit of needing to borrow some of Britain's cavalry just because I ran out. I just couldn't quite. And that's like the one I love multi basing, but the one detriment of that is you know there's a lot of different s- theories of. Uh, thought like uh, Chris Walsh will like base everything on a multi-base and then only paint what you can see because that's all you can see and it speeds up his painting where I don't like to fully paint a model I don't like to put a model on a multi-base until it's fully painted because I know if the underbelly of the horse is not painted even though you don't know and you can't see it I will forever know so I have to paint everything on the model and that's why probably painting takes me so long but that's where like my OCD manifests itself and that I know what's not painted on the model. So I got to paint it. So I have a bunch of stuff that's all in like really close to being done. So uh, I know I'll have one weekend where I, I finish a bunch of stuff and then that next week I multi-base like three units and it will be like, Oh my gosh, all this stuff done at one time.
1: Speaking of, of multi-basing, have you uh, talked at all to Anthony Leslie about his, uh, his like, translucent bases like is he do you you know if he's going to go through and and get those out there
2: yeah so anthony leslie who is a pacific northwest guy who's now living in the bay area uh he's come down here and he's become a stalwart fast friend and uh, part of our gaming group here and if you haven't seen his stuff online it's really interestingly done in that he uses from tap plastics he uses acrylic plastic multi-basing so pieces of acrylic plastic cut to the dimensions that you would cut on a multi-base. And then he builds basing components on top of that. So like rocks or mountains or whatever. And that's what the models are. So that when you, the idea is when you put it on the bait on, on a play mat, this, you see the underneath, uh, uh battle mat. Uh, and then it allows you to kind of, uh, multi-base things a little quicker. But I think the really interesting one that he's been doing is, He's been rebasing his abyssals using, like, a red fluorescent. So it looks like, instead of painted lava, the base itself looks like lava. It's, like, really cool looking, I think.
1: Yeah, I've been really, really impressed by it.
2: And it's a pretty quick, easy, cheap way thing to do. So definitely look. Uh, uh, look, He's posted on Fanatics or uh, in the west coast or bay area facebook page he's posted pictures so definitely if you've ever thought about doing acrylic see-through multi-bases anthony leslie find him on facebook he's sort of in the community probably the, the best person who's do who's who, who that i've seen who's who's used that style of multi-basing really effectively so definitely check him out and then you guys mentioned it uh the uh Emerald Dragon, that's the big tournament in Seattle, which is sort of the other hub for Kings of War In the Pacific Northwest is, right, is the uh, Seattle area. So, And then like all the regions, uh, right, guys, you have a Pacific Northwest Facebook page?
1: Yep, yeah, the Kings of War Pacific Northwest fa- Facebook page. If you guys uh, – if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you found this podcast and you, you didn't know about the Pacific Northwest group, absolutely hop on there and you can find pickup games, local tournaments – um connect with local people even if you like are new and learning we have lots of players that will be happy to come out and run a demo and you know show you how everything works
2: awesome guys i I just want to thank you for coming on um before we go um why don't you you guys do a quick shout out rundown again let us know the name of your event when it is where it is any other shout-outs you have, um, Dan, why don't you go first, just take us again, give us all the, the who, what, where, and why of your guys' events, and then we'll wrap up the show.
3: Uh, yeah, so my event's Rose City Rumble. It's hosted every June in Portland, Oregon. Um, I post about it plenty of months in advance on all the big Kings of War Facebook pages. Um, I don't have an exact date hammered out yet, but and I don't have all the details on like points and stuff because I have to see what 3rd edition is going to look like um, but yeah Portland, Oregon June 2020
1: uh, so my event is uh, Wildwood Brawl also Portland, Oregon Guardian Games uh, it's coming up coming up here pretty quick it's November 9th and 10th uh, 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 two day event five games at 2,250 points it'll be the very last 2nd edition tournament of the year Um, So if you want to get in and use your army as is for that final time, go ahead and come down.
2: Awesome. I know um, November's a lot harder for me, but pretty much that's one of my uh, favorite events to to hit in the summer, the Rose City Rumble. So uh, I will definitely be there next year. A lot of the SoCal guys will be there as well, Um, Rashad and Scott and... uh, well, Scott's wife has some family in um, Portland, so um, it's a great event. If you guys aren't thinking about uh, or have been thinking about wanting to do an event in the Pacific Northwest, either of the events, uh, Dustin's or Dan's, are, would both be really great to go to. Um, you'll get to see a lot of cool community people, um, people you know from podcasts or Facebooks. Uh, uh, you'll see um, our YouTube channels. I know Riley will come to events from Visibly Riley, um so it's like a good event to kind of um uh, and it's like kind of they're both in that sweet spot of size which playing in big events is fun but playing in the 20 to 35 person events are great too and that it allows a little bit more of an intimate uh, connection awesome i want to thank you guys for coming on the show again remember to check out the Countercharge facebook group the pacific northwest facebook group that dustin mentions if you're in that area check out the uh uh, Kings of War US West Coast Facebook group if you're in um, uh, West Coast and haven't connected with us. But so as always, remember keep countercharging. Thanks for listening.
0: And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge fifteen. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep counter-charging. Music is a composition of Kevin MacLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.